I'll take days off, do I? Do I? When my number is called, I don't take plays off, do I? Do I? I'ma always give you 20 and 10, no matter how much you wanna pretend that I ain't clutch with it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Others Receiving Votes podcast, sponsored by M Glow. I'm your host, Lauren Woods, AKA Big Low. I got a lot to say because, and, and we're gonna find out later on, uh, we got a, a special guest, a great guest, and I want everybody to really to listen what he's got to say because he talks about you know basketball and challenges in, in overseas basketball and life after basketball, which I think is the most important thing that a lot of guys and girls, I'm sure, uh, don't really understand how critical it is for you to prepare for the life after basketball. And you know, just a personal story, when I first started out um, playing basketball, I didn't know I was gonna play for 17 years, right? And even though I had a long, prosperous career, you know, I played with guys who were way better than me who only played one year or five years and, you know, something like that. But even for me, I played for so long, that's all I knew. That's the only thing I knew was professional basketball and, you know, like being on a regimented schedule every single day, practicing twice a day, you know, knowing exactly when I was going to eat, knowing exactly when, um, you know, I was going to go sleep, knowing exactly... Uh, all the free time that I had, everything was scheduled for me. And it's been like that for me since I was about 15 years old, you know. But once you get out in the real world, you know, and I say real because playing, you know, basketball for a living is, you know, playing a game for a living and getting paid for, you know, that's not really the real world. Once you get out in the real world, you got to be ready to really work and make sure that everything you do is in order. You know, you got to do it yourself. You have to be the one to set that schedule. You know, like you go to work for six or eight hours or whatever. And if you own your own business, you know, you have to set your own hours and you'd probably be working about 12 to 14 hours a day, you know, when you first start a business and everything. But I remember when I retired, when I first retired, I was so bored and I didn't know what to do. And you know, the degree that I had was uh, for high school counseling and you know, but for sure the degree that I got was way, way, old and, and not relevant to today's times. I got my degree in 2001 and when I retired, it was 2017 and for sure a lot of things had changed, uh, you know, 17 years later. But the reason that, you know, I think that it's so important because for me, when I retired, I didn't have any other skill set. I wasn't prepared to do anything else. I didn't have a plan in place fast enough or soon enough so as soon as I retired, then I can roll right into that next job or right into that next career and, and you know, hit the ground running. You know, it took me a little bit of time. I finally did it. Um, you know, three years later, you know, things are definitely moving, things are definitely rolling, but you just never know what can happen. So, you know, like a lot of things you have to do, you know, you got to make sure you be prepared. And I know we hear, we hear our parents say it all the time. We hear our coaches say it all the time. Um, you know, be prepared just in case, right? And a lot of us don't want to have a plan B. And, and I agree with that. Don't have a plan B. Always have a plan A and go at that the hardest, but definitely know that that plan A could change just like that. And once that happens, you definitely have to be ready. But you know, enough about me uh, talking about things that happened in my life. Let's get to the show. Yo, I'm so happy to talk to, to our next guest, not only because he was a great basketball player that had a fantastic professional career, but also because the knowledge that he has for the life after basketball is something that 
every basketball player should hear, everybody who's related to a basketball player professionally or otherwise, or anybody who's even thinking about going into the sport, just knowing some of the things that he knows and that he's going to share will definitely put a lot of perspective on things that you need to prepare for throughout your basketball career. My guy, Earl Bing, welcome to the What's show. Up, every- What's up, everybody? Lauren, thanks for having me, man. Good to talk to you. Good to see you. Man, it's good to see you too, bro. And it's, it's our pleasure to have you. Like I said, I, I, you know, I'm gonna let you talk about your career, and then we're gonna get right into it. You know about all these other things, but uh, you know, just tell us right now from the, you know from the beginning of your basketball journey to the end, what was that story like? Oh my gosh, uh, fat kid, middle school, all the way to my sophomore year in high school, about as athletic as a penny. Um, I was in Largo, Florida. You remember Ron Hale, good friend. Uh, I kind of followed in his footsteps. He graduated. I came in as a freshman. Um, you know, turned myself into a basketball player, worked my ass off, right? Lost some weight, grew a couple of inches, became a lot more athletic from uh, Largo High School in Florida, East Carolina basketball. Um, <laughs> college you know how college life is um i chose based on what i thought it was going to be as far as hey we're going to go play in conference usa we're going to play louisville marquette DePaul, and forgot the essence of why you're playing it's to get better and to win right and i i think as a high school senior who was really really good um in my area in the state of florida and in the southeast i thought that i would just be able to walk into a basketball program you know, lead the rest of the guys who are older and do all these things, you know, get over the personalities and move forward. And, um, yeah, that was a shock, right? You come in, you, you know, one of the first games you play is against Rick Pitino. Um, this, you know, one of his first years at Louisville, and you're just like, holy shit. You know, this guy is, has game plan for everything that you do. So um, a Dwayne Wade at Marquette. Right. Um, you know, when he was on his meteoric rise and you're thinking, oh, I, I can handle this guy. And then the next thing you know, you look at the statue, he's got twenty nine, eight and eight, you know, out of out of a fifty five point game. Um, graduated in 04, had a solid career. Now, it could have been better by my own personal standards, solid career. And then I started my journey overseas, which is really what we're talk, We're here to talk about. Right. Uh, my first year, I was supposed to sign in Turkey. Um, mid-level team, first division Turkey, and then decent money, probably 60 grand for a guy coming out of college, right? If you're, if you're not a high level, you know, you're a big guy. So you, you came out probably killing it as where I'm a tweener at six, seven, 245, 50 pounds. You know, I'm going to get 50 to 60, right? Okay. Not a bad number. I tore my uh, meniscus working out in the summertime. So I ended up uh, missing that contract, getting healthy, and ended up in First Division Austria. Now, for those who aren't familiar with First Division Austria, they have some solid players, right? Um, You know, they played in the Euro Cup Challenge and things like that. But when you start falling down that ladder just to get your foot in the door, you start to get into some interesting places. And my first country, excuse me, my first city was Mattersburg. Now, shout out to, to Mike Coffin. He's turned that place into a great place. But in 2005, right, pre-iPhone, pre-huge internet thing, pre-all of this social media that makes the world smaller, I was in a village of, know, let's call it a thousand people. And it was me. I was the only black guy at first, right, for as far as the eye can see. Um, <laughs> and it was rough. 
it was ugly. It was cold. It, nobody spoke the language. I didn't have a laptop. I didn't have the accoutrements, the things that make life simple. You know, back then I had a portable DVD player. Remember those little portable DVD players? Yep, yep. With the six hour battery. Yep. And I had eight and I had eight <laughs> DVDs. <laughs> now, See, if you would have went to Turkey first, they would have had the little corner store where the buddy was selling the DVDs out the back to all the bootleg ones. And then you get 10 for a dollar. See, you, you missed out on that that first year. But I get off topic. Go ahead. But, yeah, but you know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> you, you, you get there and you're like, okay, I have no cell phone. So I'm having to buy a cell phone with minutes and all of this stuff. And, and I'm trying to talk to my girl and talk to my family and talk to my, like, what the hell is this? Where do you have me? You know, I had teammates were nice. You know what I mean? They were struggling and just trying to stay in the first division. So I'm thinking, okay, I'll come off this knee injury. This will be my quote unquote rehab. And then I'll take over. And, and eventually I got there a gentleman by the name of, um, Aaron, Aaron Mitchell probably saved my career as an older guy vet. You know, he was brought into the team to kind of be a player coach situation. And I think he kind of saved me. So from, you know, January 4 of 2005 till May, you know, I'm in this small city. We're not getting paid on time. We're not getting paid full amount. You know, I'm like, is this even worth it? And, you know, if it wasn't for his mentorship, I don't keep playing. Um, I put up monster numbers more so because the competition wasn't on par with where I was. It was more of get healthy you know, then whatever, right? Thinking averaging 25 and 15 would get me a foot in the door pretty much anywhere. It does not because of the city that I came from. Um, ended up in France. Now, um, for those who know French basketball, Limoges is a, was a powerhouse at one point. They are again now. But when I got there, they had just gotten off this huge scandal, some sort of insider money laundering. I, I don't know the whole story because at that time I didn't speak French. All I know is that they were in the third division of France. So I take the offer because it's a little bit more money. It's roughly, I don't know, 40 grand, let's call it, right? Uh, for a guy coming off a knee injury, playing in nowhere, uh, Austria, you know, coming into France, this is supposed to be a big deal. Um, I land. They drive me four hours to Rodez with somebody who does not speak a word of English. Um, and after eight hours on the plane, four hours in the car, they're warming up as I'm pulling up. And the president looks me in the face. He said, this is part of your 10-day tryout. And I don't know, my agent didn't say anything about a 10 day tryout, nothing. He just said, go, you'll be fine. You'll, 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 you'll be fine. So I'm digging through my bag of eight months worth of clothes. You know, you don't get that, but so much, right. You, you know, you're trying to find your stuff and you, the first couple of days, you're just supposed to get there, eat, shake hands and all the rest of that crap. I had to play and, um, found my stuff. I didn't know any of the plays. I didn't know. Obviously, I don't know any of the guys. I'm the only American on the team and um, had a great game. And I think after the first game, the coach walked over to the president and said, sign the guy. He'll be fine. Great year. Um, we helped the team elevate to the second level of Pro B France. And here I'm thinking after that, you know, I'm averaging 20 and 10. And again, I'm thinking I'm going to resign with the team. Guy looked at me and said, you're too small to play in this division. It's like, okay, we just went through this, right? So um, from France, I go to Switzerland. Um, I'm sorry, I go to South America. I go to Uruguay for six weeks in uh, Montevideo, Uruguay. I play for a team called Goez. 
poor team, you know, great people, great, you know, vibe. People were awesome, but fans were awesome. But we played in a, on an outside court that had recently been covered up, right? Just to give you an idea. Now, for those who've never been to South America, we know some of the parts of third world countries, right? Let's just be honest. Um, this part of Montevideo, or at least Montevideo, as I remember, was separated. You have the upper crust half, and then you have the you know, the less fortunate. And on the surrounding parts of the cities are all these little shanty towns where people would come in on, not even on horses, they'd be pulled by donkeys. And they would come in and rummage through the trash to find food or something to sell to you. So much so that I was told, do not leave your hotel by yourself after dark, right? You're an automatic target. Um, so I played there for six weeks, helped them beat whoever they wanted to beat. And the guy literally came to me, gave me my money in cash and said, we can't afford to pay you any more than this. So you need to go home. I mean, you're welcome to stay. Well, you will get a, a fourth of what we're paying you, which was, I don't know, I think I made like seven grand or something like that in six weeks. It wasn't bad. I'll take it, whatever. So from there, I ended up going to Switzerland. Now, this is my first foray into Switzerland, and we're in the Euro Cup. Now we're talking the seven grand a month type of deal. You know, my money's starting to climb. You know, I'm, I'm liking this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know how it is. You start to, the money starts to come in, and you're like, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm a college kid with no money. You know what I'm saying? It's so funny that you say that because it was like that for me. Like my entire career, you know, I started off in the NBA. It was a little bit different track. And then I ended up uh, overseas. But even every year in the NBA, the more years you play, it doesn't matter if you're on the minimum, your money goes up. You know, so it's like every year it's like, okay, I'm getting a little bit more money per month. And then I first went overseas and it was like, man, this is what I'm going to get every month. Oh, my God, I like this. I like this. And as soon as you said that, I had it brought back all those old memories. I was like, yeah, I remember those days. Your your mind starts to change. Like, well, shit, you know, I don't have any kids. I don't have any bills. This is just cash in my pocket. Um, Ended up in Switzerland for the first three months. It was great. You know, playing all over uh, Western Europe and Cyprus. We were in um, Bratislava over in uh, the, not Czechoslovakia, uh, Slovakia, obviously. Went to the Czech Republic, went to Prague. We played in all these places and I'm just rolling. I'm rolling. I'm 18 and 15 a game. I'm, you know, okay, I'm ready to take off. So I signed an open ended contract that would allow me to leave and go for a better offer. So at the end of the first part of the season, roughly December, uh, a team in France calls, Pro A France. I'm like, I'm ready to go. So I hop over to this team called Claremont. And I don't know if you ever played against Chris Hill at Michigan State. Shooter, light-skinned kid, about 6'2", amazing shooter. Had like a little hitch in his shot, but he could really fill it up. I played with him. I played with Tony Skin from that Final Four team and George Mason. Okay. Um, Roy Hairston. You remember that name? Played at Purdue mm-hmm. back in the day, about 6'6", yep. 6'7". Six, 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 yep. Crafty as hell. Right. One of the smartest players I ever, players I ever played with. Um, and a guy I went to college with, Musa Badian, who uh, 6'10", shot blocker guy. Right. I'm, I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be awesome. We had a really good team. We had a really bad coach. And let me preface, you know, what I'm saying by bad coach. We both know as professionals or just athletes in general, the coach can make or break a person and a team. Okay. You've got guys who have superstar potential who you will never know that because of the person that they play for. Right. And you've got guys who have no business being stars, but they are because the coach has said, you go do you and don't worry about anything else. 
And that takes their confidence to a different level. Yep. Right. Same thing with teams, right? You've got a coach that says, okay, I, I have five principles that you play by. You play by those five principles, most likely will be on defense, four on defense, and then maybe one on offense, or maybe it's three, two. And if you let, if you guys do what I ask on defense, here's a motion offense, go for it. And normally those, and those coaches play to their players' strengths and things like that. You know what I mean? Hey coach, I like being on the left block. Cool. All the plays I run for you, you will end up on the left block, do your thing. As opposed to a coach that says, you're going to do it my way. And if you don't do it my way, I'm going to punish you, which was what we had. Um, we would practice three and a half hours twice a day. Whew. The earlier you came, because, you know, we've come stretch warm up. The earlier you showed up, if the whole team was on the court getting loose, getting warmed up, let's say practice was supposed to start at 930. If everybody's there by 845 trying to get loose, he'd start practice. Full out Every day, Wednesdays was one practice, four hours. He just put four hours on the clock and just let the time go, right? We practiced that way all the way until the end of the week, and we play Saturday. Wow. We would be dead tired by the end of the week. And you're just like, this this can't be life. And it was like that from January to May, all the way to the end of the season. And... We had a good run, you know what I mean? But just we beat some big teams. Nancy, uh, who else did we beat? Strasburg. I mean, we beat some really big teams, but we lost some games because we were flat out exhausted. You know, we lost a game on a buzzer beater on the road. We rode back nine hours on a bus. You know these stories. We got off the bus, and he said, you've got an hour to get back here so we can go run on the track. And, you know, his biggest thing was you guys are out of shape. And then, no, we were tired. You know what I'm saying? So um, <laughs> from there, I ended up going back to Switzerland to play in the Euro Cup. So you had the Euro Cup Challenge, you had the Euro Cup, and then you had the Euro League. Remember how they had it three-tiered? Yep. Okay, so I played in the Euro Cup. Um, going to Switzerland that year, you're talking, I went to Indiana and worked out with those guys, with Steve. You remember Steve and Joey? Yeah. So I was up in Indiana working out with those guys, going at Danny Granger back when he was still doing really well and mm -hmm. things like that. Um, had a really just thought that I had put myself in a certain position, right? So anyway, so we come into Switzerland, you know, now we're talking nine and we're, we're starting to make some, you know, we're getting to that six, getting close to that six figure range with bonuses and stuff. So I'm like, okay, all right, here we go. Um, three weeks, four weeks into training, I tore up my knee. Okay. So I tore my patella where the quad connects to the knee and I didn't even know it. Right. I was just playing and, oh, you know, gosh, a little tendonitis, you know what I'm saying? I'm doing really well. We've beaten all these, you know, high level teams in, in preseason. I'm like, OK, you know, we, we're pretty solid here. And um, one day I, it just got too important. It was unbearable. And I said, hey, Doc, you got to you know, take a look at this thing. So that was Thursday on the return trip from a preseason game or preseason tournament. Friday, I was on the um, MRI machine. And then Saturday morning at 5 a.m., I was on the operating table. Wow. Six wow. months gone. You know how big I'm built, right? You know I'm a big stocky guy. Yeah. My leg was about this big. Wow. From the muscle atrophy. Yep. Um <laughs> so you you know how before we started recording, we started talking about when is the right time to start talking about what happens next. Mm -hmm. Here's yep. where I want to segue just a little bit, and I know we'll get into that a little bit later in the segment, but this is where I kind of want to talk about that. To all those guys who are playing 
who hope to play, who have played, whatever your status may be. The time to start thinking about what happens next is the day you start. Here's why. I tore my knee. I tore two-thirds of my patella. I just happened to say it hurt so much that I couldn't take it anymore. They said I was a wrong move, plant, jump, cut, even just walking from tearing the entire thing and being out one to two years. And you and I both know that's a death sentence overseas, right? Yep. And you're out of year. You're pretty much done. Yep. Okay. Cause some, there's, there's too many guys waiting, healthy guys who are waiting in the wings. And in a lot of cases, they're a lot cheaper as far as what, what you're getting paid. Yeah. Okay. So an injury of that magnitude will cost you your career. So I say that it's time to start thinking about what happens after basketball immediately is because you don't know what's going to happen. It could be an injury like mine. It could be a world pandemic like the one we're having today. Mm -hmm. It could be the collapse of an economy, right? Remember in the, uh, what is it, 2010, 11, where it just kind of just fell apart. The world economy just kind of fell apart. Um, You know, and and overseas, these teams are funded by businesses, right? These are sponsorships and things like that. So if they don't have the money to give the sponsorship, guess what, buddy? That's your salary. You know what I mean? So you have to be prepared at all times for what's next. And yes, we push education and getting your degree. And that's wonderful. You're going to need more than your degree. And I'll get into that later on. Yeah, for sure. Um, so from there, I, I rehabbed. I finished the season. I, you know, I was able to finish the last half of the season. I missed the major part of the, the Euro Cup, which devastated me because that's the only reason I went there. Right. Um, hopped back into France for a guy that was the assistant coach of the crazy guy that I had played for in the same city before, Mr. Three and a Half Hour Practice. Yeah. Well, now this is where you start to see where the right coach gets you to where you need to be. He knew exactly how I played. He knew my strengths. He knew my weaknesses. He knows that you can't stick a guy at a top level basketball at six, seven, nine times out of ten, who's only back to the basket, and just be consistently effective at 15, 16, 17 points a game all, all, all the time. I'm an inside out guy. I played the four in college, right? I even had a season where I played the three, right? So allowing me to be me playing inside and out, you know, handling the ball as far as three dribbles max, I'm not going to break you off the dribble, but I can get to my spot in three dribbles, mm-hmm. two if I need to. Yep. Uh, I'm strong enough to do what I need to do. I'm strong. Let's put it like this. If I had to brag about anything, I'm going to be stronger than 90% of the guys that I played against. Right. Right. I probably, you know, as far as rebounding is concerned, I would put myself at I would I would put my money on me for a rebound in my prime at any time. Right. I don't care if you're seven foot. I don't care if you're you know, I don't I don't care. I, I will find a way because I'm strong. I will I will be stronger than you and I'll just use my body to keep you from getting a rebound. Right. That's just me being honest. Right. Um, and I can shoot the ball when allowed. Right. You shoot pretty good. High 30s in the threes. Not bad. So. Playing with this guy, you know, we were underdogs. Everybody thought we were going to be underdogs. And the next thing you know, we take off. Me and another guy named Eric Craven. Eric Craven is a lefty from USC. Craftiest guy, you know, just, you know, strong, kind of funny built, long arms, really sneaky, athletic, scores mentality, excellent player, good guy off the court. I mean, you know, just... We had we had too much fun. Let's just put it. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, you know, from winning games to playing Uno, you know, drinking and and, and betting 
uh, Smurf gummies and eating kebabs with French fries at four o'clock in the morning after wins. I mean, you know, this is this is overseas life pre, you know, social media and Netflix being global. And it's either PlayStation or drinking. Yep. That's it. And the more you can find something that can involve all of your teammates, the better time that you have. And for us, it was Uno. And a simple card game like Uno now turns into this weekly shit-talking thing where, you know, people are bringing drinks. And now we've got the African guys. And now the guys are bringing food. And the girls are bringing food. And you've got 20 people trying to play an Uno game. Right? We're loud. Music is playing. People are laughing. That's how teams are built. That's how these are the memories that you and I remember in these situations where we're, you know, it's, it's the same thing in the NBA. If you don't, when you have teams that do shit like that, you watch and see what happens, right? Then you're, you're like, oh, this was great. I had a great time. You know, I could play with these guys again. But then there's other situations where, you know, everybody's isolated. Everybody's got family and, you know, this guy's married and that guy's married and, you know, they can't hang out and you're just like, okay. And you're, you know, certain guys are isolated and it's just like, this is no fun. You know, it's depending on the city that you're in, right? If you're in a major city, okay, fine, you can, you'll, you'll make it happen. But if you're in these cities that are two or three or four hours away from a major metropolitan, this is all you've got, right? So I did back-to-back seasons in Claremont, France. Um, then I got called to Pro A France, or no, so I'm sorry, back to Pro B with uh, Dijon. Now I'm making $1,200, excuse me, $12,000 a month. Now I'm happy. I'm getting this money. I'm okay. You know, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm really, really getting it. I think I probably end up with 130 because we got the bonus at the end, 140, something like that. I'm really thinking I'm doing it right. Okay. A series of events happens that changes people's trajectory um, as far as their basketball path and the way they think about the game, right? Major milestone in your life, like a family, a kid, um, you know, an injury, maybe it's a death. You know, maybe it's a coach, maybe it's a global phenomenon like the pandemic or, you know, economic collapse. A couple of things happened that year. Um, I came into the camp in the best shape of my life. You know, another summer out there with Stevie in uh, Indiana working, playing. And, you know, I'm talking, I'm down, I'm low, I'm below college weight. I'm 240, I'm running all over the place. I'm thinking I am this close to making that leap to where I really want to be. Right. I, you know, refined my handles a little bit, locked down the mid range game. I can defend three positions now. You know, I can defend three, four, five. Hell, I can switch out on a two, four possession if you need me to. Now, I'm not saying that I'm going to lock this person down, but I can make the shot difficult. Like, like um, PJ Tucker before PJ Tucker. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, he definitely yeah. had a better three ball than me. But you're good. Uh, yeah, you're <laughs> right on the money. Yeah. But honestly, I was feeling that confident about myself that I thought that I was a, the right summer away from being at least brought into a camp, you know, as far as, you know, um, a legit sh- a legit shot. That summer, I know you and I got together. <laughs> That's another story. Yeah, but yeah. I remember working, hey, maybe I remember a different working podcast. Out. But I I remember working out with Ron and we all know how fast and athletic Ron is, right? Right. I blew past Ron and off of two dribbles and a hop step with him on my right shoulder. I just jumped up with my left hand and hook dunked it on him like it was nothing. And I'm like, okay, 
because I always looked at him as the standard from my area. Right. I'm here now. And I said, oh, I'm here now. Yeah. And I could manhandle. I mean, I manhandle guys as far as playing, you know, some of the Indiana guys. And I, Danny Granger was a far, you know, God bless him. If he didn't have any knee problems, he would have been one of the greats, right? Physically, physically could not handle because I was just bigger, you know, I'm bigger yeah. and stronger. Yeah. Um, Gabe, Joey, and Stevie Graham, and you know how big and strong those guys. I gave them, we were all on the same team, but when we play one-on-one and things like that, just give them help just because of physical strength. Right. Um, so I think I'm there. And I run into a buzzsaw of a coach. Now, mind you, I play inside out. That's how I make my living. Threes, twos, versatility, movement. He wanted me to play five and five alone. And you know, overseas, what's the first thing they do if you got somebody who's a legit threat near the basket? They double team you. Of course. So I'm running into this guy who only wants me to play one position, doesn't want me to to go to a different, just does not know how to use my strengths. But he has a system. The system has worked. And and I'm going to be a system guy, whether I like it or not. Money's good. Whatever. I'll play it. We'll win. We'll move up. I'll get more. Cool. Worst decision of my life. Hated it. Loved the teammates hated the system he and i almost came to blows one game after the game because on film and we watched the film together afterwards i pointed out four opportunities that i had legitimately one-on-one to score and he you know for all his yelling and blustering he could not he lost the argument but because he's the coach he couldn't lose the argument you know what i mean well, you're not working hard enough, or maybe you're not that good, or maybe you're a pussy, or whatever it is, and, and and we had to be separated. So from that point, I was like, fuck this, right? So there's scenario number two, where you need to be ready for what's next in basketball. Because you will run into coaches like that who will make you question, I can go the fuck home, and I can do something else. And you need to have that backup so that you can say, yes, I'm going the fuck home. Okay, so there's that. That same season, there was the NBA lockout. So that summer, so despite we, you know, we, we came in second place, we got the team to pro a to say that summer, the NBA lockout, NBA lockout, shitty coach who hated me. And I did not like him either. Right. Um, and then the economic collapse all in one summer. So my, so remember that year that salaries just got like, just slashed. That was that summer. That was that summer. So for a guy who ended up averaging, I think I said at like nine and a half and nine a game on a team that I think the high scoring guy was 12, right? French guy, high scoring guy was 12. We played in the fifties and sixties. You know, we were not allowed to give up more than X amount of points or there was X consequences and different, you know, practices and stuff like that. Um, Hell, we, every time we lost, we had to run seven kilometers around the lake. Okay, and then go shoot free throws or whatever, right? We we practiced, like we went we we went at it, um, and so with that crazy summer, the coach slight blackballing, because it was known that I got in his face. And, and you know me, I'm not that type of a guy, right? You really, really, really have to cross the line. And at that point in my career, I had learned French. You know, I could speak fairly well. I understood more than I let on, but I could speak it. You know what I mean? And I caught what he said and he didn't think I caught it. And this isn't after a loss. You know, I got, I got right in his face and, and I was ready to kick his ass. And then, you know, in our film session later, he was like, yeah, you know, he tried to apologize, but he was trying not to apologize. You know what I'm saying? Um, he had to have the uh, president of the team there. The owner was there. 
And I literally told him, I, I will fucking kick your ass right here, right now. I don't care. You know, you think I don't understand what you're saying. I do understand what you're saying. Like, I'm not an idiot. So anyway, get past that. We're in the summertime. Those three things hit all at once. I end up in Geneva, Switzerland for roughly half of what I made the season before. Because that's what that's guys were. Remember when all the NBA guys were coming overseas? That was that yep. year. Darren Williams went over to, to to Turkey and all this stuff. And all those fringe guys who would go to the D League or hang around at home, they're like, "Fuck it, I can't. This is there's a lockout. I got to come here and get this money." So all those guys come in. They're coming in top tier because they've got the NBA moniker. And then it's just trickle down effect, right? Everybody gets knocked down a peg or two. So whatever. Anyway, end up in Switzerland. Back in Switzerland, I should say. Now. Geneva is the greatest place to live to me. One of the greatest places. I haven't been everywhere, but Geneva is awesome. It's beautiful. Um, it's like living in a postcard. Switzerland, I mean, the mountains, the lake, the money, you know, these, these international banks. I mean, there's, there's, there's just money everywhere. Hell, I had uh, hors d'oeuvres with Richard Mill, the guy who makes the million-dollar watches. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's... You know, I'm not making any money enough to buy one of these things. But who gives you stuff? <laughs> who gives you? He doesn't, that, he doesn't that was my next that. question. That was my next question, too. Uh, how many watches did you get? I bought, I'll say, okay, so to be honest with you, I bought. I knew, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I ended up buying a couple of watches. I spent I spent more money on watches than I should have, yeah. Um, and yeah. Then, which I eventually sold because at, at that point, I mean. We've all been there. Anyway. We've all been there, my brother. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, and then here's the other bad part. I was 15 minutes from the Louis Vuitton store. Ooh, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Man. We, we know how much trouble that can get you in, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Funny story. It's Christmas time, and, you know, I'm trying to find something for my mom. Um, and I go into Louis Vuitton store with a teammate of mine, right? And uh, the teammate will not be named because he spent, like, $500 on a little coin thing because that's what he had. You know what I'm saying? He could, he could afford the little coin thing. Right. And I, I'm like, brother, did you just spend $500 on a zipper coin thing? Cause it said LV on it, but that's not the part of the story I want to tell you. So remember the Panamera, the Porsche Panamera first came out. Yep. I'll never forget this banker and his wife pull up and just curb it on the side of the Louis Vuitton store. Cause if you've been to Geneva, it's like in the middle of this strip where all of the high end stores are pulls up on the curb and she walks in <laughs> and she points to a wall and she says, I want everything on that wall. And she drops the black card and just goes and sits down and waits for them to bring her like a sparkling water or something. She dropped, they could have been 50, 60K like that. Just, I want the wall, not, not one, not two. I want the wall of purses. Anyway, Switzerland ends up being one of my favorite, pl Geneva ends up being one of my favorite places. There was something to do every night, which for a single guy who got a little money in his pocket. <laughs> Different podcasts. Different podcasts, right? <laughs> but but then it's just one of those things that can distract you, right? At this time, I had developed uh, a bone spur in my right ankle, and it was digging into my Achilles, okay? And it, as long as you're hot and you're running and you're good, you're fine. The moment you get cold is when the shit starts to hurt, or the season wears on, everything hurts. So that's starting to hurt. Finish the season, 
had a good season, but in the middle of the season, um, a pro B team called, you know, back when they're talking back in the six figures and they want me to come, blah, 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 blah. The president would not let me, would not release me from my contract. So that hurt. Um, anyway, we lose in the finals in five games. Um, come back and come back in France. And I go to this team, ex Morian, great city, great fans, but you kind of know where your career is when you get to the city. Right. Right. You know that it's about that time. Yeah. Um, I played there for two seasons. Again, great city, great fans played with some great guys, but again, you know where your, your career is at. And then my last season, which would have been year, um, 10 going into 11 was in Danan in the north of France. Now this city was written off because it's in the north. Uh, it's cold. It's dingy. It's, it's, you know, it's just not the place where people go to visit great fan base. I ended up playing for this guy, John Christopher. I can't think JC. Uh, I can't think of his last name. Anyway, he was an assistant coach to one of the Euroleague champions in Turkey. So this guy knows his shit. Okay. Um, I played with a guy named Jeb Ivy who had a 15 year career, just amazing point guard, three point shooter, uh, went to Portland state, um, white dude. Okay. He could fill it up and just a, just a dog. You know what I'm saying? Maybe not the most athletic, definitely one of the headiest, most grittiest, just flat dog on the court. You know what I mean? He loved the game still. I mean, eh, you know, he would cry if we lost and, and, and that's not to, to jab at him. It's just to show how much he cared. Right. And I play with a young gun who's still playing Austin Hollins, uh, Minnesota uh, product, Lionel Hollins son. OK, side note, my dad and Lionel Hollins went to college together. Cool. So I kind of took him under my wing as my rookie, but he's having a phenomenal career. He's in Russia. So, you know, what kind of money they make in Russia exactly. and I'm not gonna get into that man's pockets. But the boy could play. He was kind of shy coming out of his shell. And then finally, towards the end of the season, he kind of got going. Um, play with Sasha Jifa, guy, French guy who was on the national team, you know, about, about my size, stocky, but could shoot it, really heady player. But anyway, we turned a team that had no business competing into a championship caliber team. Wow. Right. Coaching. I mean, we've got um, Will Howard, uh, Frenchman, American father. Um, he's been in camp with the Rockets, Utah. He's under contract with one of those guys. He was on somebody's D-League team. I think it was Utah's D-League team. Yakuba uh, Watara, who's been who was with New Jersey, off and on for a little bit. Now he's in the Euro League. He's one of he's on the French national team. Uh, Jerry. Jerry Boots CLA plays in Limoges. Limoges is now a EuroLeague team, but this guy is a 6'9", 260 pounds of just muscle lefty African kid who can really go. I mean, we had some really, really high-level younger French guys, and we had some vets, some grizzled vets. Um, and I just say <clears throat> that coach really knew what he was doing. He listened to his players. He played guys to their strength, and he held everyone to the same standard. Right. We, you played in the NBA, you know, some guys get a little bit more leeway, you know, some guys got, you know, they don't get the same treatment. And, 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 and I don't care what anybody says subconsciously when everybody's not held to the same standard, it wears on people over the course of a season. That's just the truth. He held everybody to the same standard. Right. The only thing that the vets got was, you know, toward the end of the season, he kind of backed off on the extra running on the for us. Mm -hmm. Right. You, you guys don't have to go in here and do this sprint drill. 
you know, I'm 33, you know, Jeb's 34, 35, Sasha's 34, 35. So you got some guys who are, you know, we, we put in a lot of time and those extra 10 wind sprints in May isn't going to make a difference with us. Right. Anyway, man, great coach Pratt, JC Pratt is his last name. One of the best coach. I mean, complete jerk at times, but you respected him. And I liked the guy because of the way he coached the game. He listened, he admitted mistakes, you know, he allowed us to have fun, but kept it inside of the realm of we have business to do. And every game he expected to win. Now, some coaches talk shit about, yeah, we expect, no, this guy's game prep was to win every game. And I don't think we got blown out. I mean, might've been blown out once or twice and that happens, right? That's basketball. But we went from who the hell are these guys to, oh shit, they're in third place at the end of the season oh shit they're in the finals right <laughs> right like oh shit what the wait a minute you know what i mean small budget team i think i made 85 90 bonus whatever anyway um into my career and then you're just you know then but at that point you know I, and i you and i talked about it probably midway through that season i woke up one morning and said i'm done right i'm done i i Given the game, everything, I want to go home. I miss my family. At the time, I'm engaged. I just want to go home. You know what I mean? I had enough. I wasn't practiced. I just did not have it anymore. And I'd be lying to myself if I said if I could do this another season, I would have done it. I am thankful to God that I played. I was able to play as long as I played. And I got to walk out on my terms instead of somebody saying, you're not good enough. We're not going to sign you. Right. Right. Now, one thing I did skip over was when I played in Dijon, I started to get my master's degree online. So that, I mean, that, that's not something that you just glaze over. I'm right. glad that you said that. <laughs> I'm glad that you said that. And I had a, I got a story because I played uh, against a kid who and it was at the end of my career. You know, I was fortunate enough to play until I was 39. And I think this might have been like the year before I retired. So I might have been 38. So it was this kid that came into came into the league. His, uh, his name's. Um, Merrill Holden, he went to uh, Iowa State, a, a phenomenal athlete, 6'10", um, you know, a great, great player. And he came into the league and he and I were talking and I remember he was like, oh, man, you know, what time is it? Oh, I got to go. I got an hour before I got to go turn this paper in. And I was like, oh, OK, cool. That's what's up, man. You finishing your degree. Um, you know, while you over here, that's what's up, you know. And he's like, yeah, yeah, man. You know, like it's it's been it's been tough, but, you know, I'm, I'm pushing through. It's something I just got to do. I said, yeah, man. But, you know, like it's a good thing because a lot of guys, they don't they don't finish college, man. And, and that's something that, um, you know, you can always hang that plaque up on the wall. And I'm going to be proud and everything. He said, oh, no, 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 no. I already got my bachelor's degree. This is my my master's degree. I, and he was, and bruh, bruh. And he was like 24, bruh. And I yeah. said, I, and I, I, I said, my guy, I, that is, I can't wait to, to, you know, I'm going to tell everybody this story. Every kid that I meet, everything that I met a kid, he had already finished his college. He was overseas playing and got his master's degree. Cause that's something that you can be proud of. It's something that you can immediately fall back on. If you know, in the next topic, we're about to talk about, yeah. um, you know, the whole retirement aspect of it, but it's I got just one for you. Let me, let yeah. me interject because you're talking about that guy. There was a guy that played in France and I played against him at William and Mary when I was in college, he went to, he played overseas until he saved up enough money to pay for med school. Wow. Got his money, got the money from med school, retired. Wow. 
paid for med school. And that's what that's what it is, man. And, and look, I, this, this, this and, and I'm glad that we, you know, like there's a perfect segue into this this um, this next topic, because, you know, you talked about, you know, some of the immediate differences that you that you uh, encountered when you went from overseas to I mean, when you went from the States to overseas. You know, you, you talked about a lot of those challenges and a lot of guys just don't understand. I mean, you know, like because we're kind of babied in college. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, we're, oh, we're babied in the NCAA Division One. You know, we are babied to the highest degree because, it, what you know, like they're protecting their investment. They only yep. want you to focus on the game, winning the game, because what does that do? The coach gets paid if you win. Uh, the school gets more money if you win. You know, more TV contracts, all that, yep. you know. So so we're babied quite a bit. Um, you know, no, I don't care how hard anybody's college experience was to, you know, like I, University of Arizona was amazing. That was like playing for, in the pros. In, in college, you know, to be to be quite quite honest with you, but um, you know, like we, a lot of these things that kids just don't understand, all these challenges that you had to overcome, and you talked about it. You know, I, oh man, I ran into a coach. We practicing two times a day for four hours each time. I, I don't care what no kids say. Ain't nobody practicing eight hours a day. Oh, no. I don't. No. I don't care who, except maybe the the late great Kobe Bryant. I yeah. think I heard that he used to practice like six, seven hours a day or lock himself in the gym or something like that for like eight or nine hours. Whatever. Other than that, I've though. never heard nobody <laughs> doing nothing like that, man. I mean, it's insane. It's, you know, uh, there was one coach who made us carry five pound weights in each hand and run the track for 45 minutes. Right. Um, you've been on the, the, the teams overseas where it's like, hey, we're going to go climb this mountain. Right. You know what I'm saying? We're going to go do sprints up a mountain. We're going to do all types of madness, right, for preseason for basketball. Um, and that's just the preseason portion of it, right? We're talking about just getting ready. The three and a half hour practices. What about the bus rides? Right. Right. Not every team's going to, in fact, no team in France flew everywhere when I played. Not every single game. Why? Why fly when you can take the six-hour bus and save the team money? Yep. So they get you a nice bus that has beds in it, and you know you you bring your your iPad and whatever. When the iPads came out, yep. right? Remember, iPhones and all that stuff. That's what. That's late. It wasn't when that's we first started playing. Right. That's new <laughs> to late part of our career. Right. Yep. I would say, outside of the COVID situation, I would say the average person playing overseas now has it easy as far as staying connected to the family. Oh, for sure. 100%. No matter where you are. I don't care where you are in the world. Exactly. And social media has made Western living not such such a foreign concept. So like when we would go, people were like, you know, why do you have your big headphones or, you know, whatever your style is or however you act. Now people people emulate what we do, speak more English and, and whatever. Anyway, you know, that's just the outside part of it. What about cooking? I didn't know how to cook when I first got there. You know, I yep. can make some basic things. Yep. Um, you can't eat McDonald's every day, right? Sure. I remember <laughs> exactly. But if you don't know how to cook and that's what you see, what are you going to eat? McDonald's every day. Exactly. Yep. Um, funny story. So my second year, my first year in France, second year playing, I remember, you know, we were sponsored by McDonald's. McDonald's was right across the street from the gym. And we were going to leave early for a game. And, okay, I'm excited. It's like, shit, about to get up. I'm going to go get me a sausage biscuit. I'm going to be there early. I'm going to get my sausage biscuit and my hash brown, and I'm going to be on the bus ready to roll. Pull up to McDonald's, and I am scanning the menu for the breakfast. And I, you know, I say, sausage biscuit? And the lady spoke in. She said, oh, no, 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 no. Hamburger, um, donut, coffee. That's it, bro. At 6 in the morning? That's it, bro. (laughs) 
that, threw me off. Breakfast, at, like, McDo- breakfast at McDonald's is an American thing, dude. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> you didn't know told we was eating was chicken hyped. nuggets and fries. It, you I know, was like so at hyped. ten. No, yeah, I was hype. I was so hype, and then she just. So I got a hamburger, and I'm just like, I'm eating a fucking hamburger. Hamburger and donut, bro. <laughs> that was awful. But, you know, and then just understanding how to play their game, right? There's a the language barrier in certain areas. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. There's the expectation of um, constant movement for, from our isolation days. Now, the game has obviously changed. Yeah. In the, you know, college basketball and, and in the NBA, there's more movement. But remember, when we played, it was isolation. Yep. You get a mismatch on a big, you dumping that in, and he going to work. Yep. There's some movement on the backside, but there's not all this pick and roll, pick and pop, pick and roll, pick and pop. Exactly. They taught me that I was doing the pick and roll where you pick, and then you drop that inside foot and roll with your back. No, it's pick and sprint yep. as opposed to – like that was a big change for me. Um, picking and popping more, more. Yes. The four – is more of a is you had the four and the one have to pretty much be the same person without the four handling the ball as much. Exactly. Um, that was new to me. Um, the referees remember they had the trapezoid shaped yep. uh, thing, the the goaltending, yep. and yep. It, you know it's a lot of it. Just it's a lot of adjustments, man. And you're right, we're babied. Now you're getting paid. They don't care. Adjust or get cut. Yep. That's what it is. That's what it is, man. But yeah, and we we were talking about, you know, that day where you said, you know, I'm I'm done. It's a wrap. You woke up. And it wasn't I woke up and it just happened. You know, like your story was a little bit different. You had gone through a lot yep. throughout your career. It was like, oh, is this time now? Nah, let me right. just play a little bit. Uh, is it time now? Nah, let me just put okay, now it's time. It's you know, time. so when you got to that that point where you retired, and I'm gonna let you you tell, you know, like like the, what you were going through, your thought process. You go on to the next phase of your life. And you already talked about the time that you should start thinking about life after basketball is when you start thinking that you're going to play basketball as a profession. You know, I think I heard you say that. Yep. And for a lot of guys, it's really not a plan B. For a lot. It wasn't for me. I know that for a fact. You know, I know a lot of guys that I grew up with, you know, that played. It was kind of like, no, no, this is what we're going to do. It's not... Okay, we're gonna go to school and be learn how to be, you know, a chemist, and then we're just gonna get enough to play basketball. And then if we don't, then you know, like we'll work at a pharmacy or or you know something. No, it wasn't that. It was all right. We're going to school to play basketball to go to the pros, and we'll take classes just so we can stay on the team because there's a rule against that. <laughs> if you don't right. go to school, you can't play. Right. So, 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 okay, I guess we got to go to school so we can keep playing. But, but, you know, like you give us your thought process and your perspective. And especially like when you retired, that moment you were, you retired, what you were feeling, and then kind of the next steps Oof. and maybe how okay. to transition, how to, how to make that transition. If it wasn't easy for you, cause I know a lot of guys say that the transition isn't that easy. How to make that transition better if you have, you know, thoughts on that? Yeah, great questions. Um, so let me start by saying I come from a family of educators. Grandmother was an educator, first uh, black woman to teach in an all-white high school in the Pinellas County area. Um, my mother is an educator. Uh, my uncle, you know, my dad was a real 
you know, stickler on making, making sure that I acted and, and, and carried myself a certain way. So education was, was that to me, that was just a given, right? That was an expectation that I had to meet. So I got my degree in management information systems. Um, one of the things that I noticed and no disrespect to anybody who graduated with a certain degree, but coaches in college don't prepare guys for what's next. It's get them eligible, get them to play, right? Because that's their job. Win games. That's what they're here for, right? But I think it's doing guys a disservice. And then I'll segue into what happened when I finished basketball. Making sure that you get a degree in something that has value, you know, is more important than just getting a degree, right? Especially if somebody's going to pay for your college, right? Um, if you have no intentions on being a broadcaster or anything like that, stay away from communications, guys. I, I this is no rip to anybody who has one. This is just the truth of being in the world today. Or if you can't talk. If you can't talk. <laughs> exactly, right? If you can't get up in front of a group of people and have a conversation and write out sentences and do these things, don't get a degree in something that you have no business or any any future aspirations of following. There are some people who are going to be Stephen A. Smiths and, and, um, and Maria Taylors and all these. They're going to be those people. Go for it. If that's not you, get something broad like a business degree that can apply to multiple things, right? I also urge you to do things during the summertime that allow you to get a taste of what this potential career or um, you know internships, whatever is allowed now, because I, I know the rules have changed, to get an idea of what this career means for you, right? Because we already know the whole story. Not everybody's going to play pro, blah, 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 blah. It's for real. Okay. That was for my college guys. So for my guys who are playing overseas, injury, pandemics, coaches, economic collapse, NBA lockouts, family, these things will happen. Okay. If you wait until the moment it happens to prepare, you're already behind. I'm thankful that more people are, you know, getting involved in investing their money. I invested some money, but I'm old school. I saved, had a beautiful savings account, but had I known more about investing and trusted more, right? Especially after the collapse, I was like, shit, no, 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 no. <laughs> I could have, I would have done things differently. Obviously hindsight is 2020, but having that coach who I just did not like, it pushed me to get my master's degree. That That's great, but that's just a piece of paper. So fast forward to the day I shut it down. I had been applying for jobs probably since the first part of that year, because I kind of knew in the back of my mind that this was going to be the last ride, right? So, you know, I started applying for jobs and things like that. I got zero calls back in an eight month period of just flat, you know, I've got my master's degree, I'm, you know, world traveled, I've got all this experience, just living life in different areas and working with different cultures. I have no marketable skills that can help me, right, in the workforce. My neighbor um, works in technology. He kind of angled me to it, like, you need to start looking at technology. You know, take these certifications, get a security plus certification, get a project plus certification. Excuse me. And for those who don't know, it's just, these are technical certifications. Doesn't mean a whole bunch, but it means you have competency in project management and security of, you know, uh, technical areas, right? Cool. Then my friend, um, Cameron Hairston, which I'll shout out, um, 
starts nudging me. Hey, man, you really should get into technology. You know what I mean? My, my neighbor, Jose, was, was, was cool about him. He kind of nudged me. But Cam's one of those guys who was just really, really blunt, right? I kind of push him off, whatever, anyway. So I retire, and I come home. Mind you, I, I bought a house. I bought a car. You know, the same stuff. Like, I'm ready to move forward. I'm engaged. I have a nice savings account, but I have no job to keep the income coming in, right? So what am I doing? I'm spending my savings account. I'm spending my I'm, I'm dipping into this money. I'm tapping into this money. It wasn't until three, three and a half months of me being retired that I finally got a job offer as a data entry person at one of the big four accounting firms. Wow. So here I am. I'm 33 years old. I've got all of this world travel. I'm a former professional athlete. And I'm walking into a door and accepting 38.5. Now, to some people, that's, you know, that's great. And no offense to those people. But you and I come from a different area where 38.5 is nothing. Right? Like, that's, that's not going to cut it. You know what I'm saying? And, I, and I've got a quote for you that you're going to love in a little bit. But um, 38.5 ain't going to cut it. Not for me, my fiance, who's working, who make, who make at the time was making double what I made, right? Because she had been in her career for a long time. And I don't even know if I like accounting, right? I, in fact, I don't like accounting. I hated it in college, but I needed a job. So that's what that's like. When you come out of college, you are used to this structured two-a-day practice, you know, one hour, two-hour nap. You know that midday nap after that first practice, you eat your lunch and you take a nap. Yes, sir. You get up, you make yourself a little something to eat so you got something on your stomach, and then you go practice again. Yep. There's no such thing as a midday nap when you're sitting in a cubicle from 8 to (laughs) 5. You know what I'm saying? You stick out like a sore thumb. I'm the biggest person in, in in the building, and I'm with guys who just graduated college. And it is the most humbling experience because now you've got to change everything about your day-to-day routine that you've been doing for 20 years. You know, you can't eat food like you used to. You don't practice where you burn three to 4,000 calories a day. That was a major change because I had to have that bone spur that I talked about earlier removed from my, from my ankle. So I got that done before I left, but then it was just like, I'm eating, I'm lifting, I'm eating, I'm lifting, but I'm not running. I'm not playing. I'm not doing the things that keep your body in a certain condition. So I'm gaining weight. I'm in this entry-level job that, I don't know, man. I just felt like, what am I doing? I've got supervisors who talk to you like you're, you're an idiot. You've got managers who talk to you like you're an idiot because you're at this certain level. I am begging, not begging, but working my ass off just to make it to the whatever the next level of the position is for a, a, a $1,200 increase, right. which, as you know, it does nothing, right? It's a drop in the bucket. I've got a mortgage. Thank God I paid off my car before I was done. I've got student loans because I took, I got my master's degree yep. and I'm just trying to live and trying to figure out if this is even what I want to do. It's awful. And then I had this relationship <clears throat> that I'm trying to maintain and, you know, she's trying to say, Hey, we need to be doing this. I don't have money to do this right now. So, you know, we're going back and forth and ultimately things didn't work out. I won't go down that rabbit hole, but there's another strain on your personal life that, Oh my God, I don't make the same money. Oh my God, my body's changing because I don't work out the same. Um, I don't make this, you know, I don't make the same money. I don't know what is next. 
and by the grace of God, good family, um, prayer, and and just friends, you know, I, I dragged myself out of it. I tried to coach high school basketball. No, I'm sorry. I tried to apply to coach in college. I've got 11 years worth of, of hooping experience, plus I played in college, plus I played in high school. Couldn't get a sniff. Why? Because that's a different type of a game. You have to know somebody. You have to bring them a student. You yeah. have to. There's yeah. so it's 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 a greasy underbelly of college basketball that people don't want to turn over and really examine. Yeah. Right. I remember, you know, one team, one university telling me um, when I did start coaching AAU, they said, well, if you can convince this guy to come to our school, we'll give you a job. Oh, yeah. What if this guy doesn't like this school? I'm not going to take it's a, a kid game. that I'm. It's sick. I know this kid. I know this kid's dad. This kid's dad is trusting me, right? I played high school ball with this kid's dad. If he doesn't like this school and I dragged him to his school and I get the job, that kid's going to look at me like, well, you know, I'm here because of you. Yeah. I'm not, I would would never do that to a kid, right? Never do it. Never was able to get my foot in the door for college basketball. So I tried my shot at being an NBA um, video coordinator minimal skill set, whatever, right? Just get, just get in the door, get out of corporate America. I remember a friend of mine helping me out and he slid me the NBA red book and literally had all the email addresses. And I sent out in a three month span, roughly 700 emails with my playing resume. I probably got 15 to 20 responses. I'm going to just shout out Coach Popovich if he ever listens to this podcast. He responded personally, right? Hey, man, this is who you need to talk to, blah, 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 blah. R.C. Buford. I heard know. he was a great guy, though. I never God, really talked to him awesome. personally. Yeah, like I heard they're like great guys. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he saw my email, some random guy sending a random email saying, hey, can you give me a shot? Hey, can you just take a look? To the guy, Scott Brooks, um, some Scotty of the guys Brooks. in Charlotte. Scotty yeah, Brooks. some of the guys now, He's in a Charlotte. great guy. I know him. Yeah, Malik Rose, um, oh, yeah. Long, Josh Longstaff. Yep. Um, I'm leaving some guys out, man. David, I can't think of his last name, but he was with, he was with Washington for a while. Ryan Richmond, um, all that guy. David was a great guy, and I right. can't think of his last name to save my life. But these guys responded to me. And even if it was nothing, right, it gave me some sort of hope. Yeah. Um, so I start coaching high school basketball, a guy named Dave Thorpe from our area, great dude, you know, player development. David Thorpe, uh, yeah. Yep. You know Thorpe. Yeah, did, you know what yeah. we're talking about. You know Thorpe. Yeah. Um, he, you know, he kind of helped me push things along a little bit and got a couple of interviews and, and you know, um, Frank Vogel. Frank Vogel brought, brought me up to Orlando. That's what's up, man. And I, you couldn't have told me I didn't get that job. And then the hurricane hit. Remember that hurricane hit yep. Orlando? Yep. It just washed. When I say it washed away, not only the the opportunity, it just washed away everything because everybody was in panic about something else. Right, right. And they ended up somebody's uh, one of the draft picks cousins called, and you know, the best they could offer me was a swinging internship that was, you know, it was sixteen dollars an hour for seventy hour weeks, and I, that ain't what's really I good, a, man. Okay. <laughs> that ain't what's really happen. good. Yeah. No. So. um uh, a couple other guys in Atlanta. Well, they weren't in Atlanta at the time, but um, you know, anyway, some of these guys they just they they gave me the time of day, which gave me some sort of hope. Right. Um, all the while, my friend Cam um, is in my ear, dude. What are you really doing? What are you really doing? What are right. you really doing? Like, well, you know, what are you doing? This is where you need to kind of take a look at. And I'm thinking, man, let's leave me alone. You know what I'm saying? And then finally, he looks at me 
in the eye and says, you're too big to be broke. Now, for guys who aren't our size, that might not mean anything. But you especially, you know, you know you're a seven-footer. Our clothes cost more. Our cars cost more. Our beds, are the, the day-to-day things that we do cost more money, right? It just is what it is. You know, I wear a 15 or a 16. Those shoes, you're going to have to – normally, you're going to have to pay full price, right? Yep. Every once in a while, you'll be able to find stuff on sale. Suits have to be custom-made. Yeah. Um, you know, whatever. It costs more money to be a bigger guy. It just is what it is. And he said, what are you begging these guys for? Because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm spending my money to go out to summer league. And, you know, what? how much money are they going to pay you in your first year? I don't know, 28, 29. Doesn't matter. I'm around basketball. He was like, you need to look at technology. You need to look at Microsoft products and understanding how these things work because you can make the money of a doctor or a lawyer without having to do the amount of work that they do. Now there's some work and there's some, you know, forethought, but there's the opportunity. Um, And I think that just after a while, you, you know, I had spent five grand on flying back and forth to Vegas just to get a sniff of somebody to talk to me. Right. And at that point I was desperate. My, you know, my relationship had failed, you know, I'm renting out rooms to people in my house so that I can, which was, I should have been doing that anyway. Right. But I've I've got a big house and I know these guys, I know where their checks come from. They're paying my mortgage, whatever. Anyway, should have done that a long time ago, but it's still not what I'm used to and not what I had planned. And I, you know, I took one of their tech classes. Um, I started doing some, some work in the SharePoint and in Microsoft 365 environment and, and things like that. And, and man, within five years, you know, my life just shot off like a rocket. And here I am, I'm an office 365 teams collaboration engineer and I'm in high, my skill set is in high demand. That's what I'm talking about. I love it, man. Hey, I love it. Listen, the the thing that I love most about it is, you know, you still got on that grind. And what a lot of people don't understand is that the regular workforce, grind, and I'm calling it regular because what we do is not regular. Playing a game and getting paid a ton of money for it isn't regular. You know, that's not that's not the real world. But in the real world, every single thing, every skill set you have, every job you get, you know, it's a grind. It starts off like that. Unless you know somebody at the top that's going to bring you in. It's like, look, I know you had these. I know I know, Mr. Bing, you know, you played overseas for, you know, 11 years. And I know, you know, that's pretty much like, you know, self-marketing. So, you know, you probably know a little bit about marketing and world travel and, and global economies and networking and all that. I'm going to bring you in to be my vice president of, you know, global networking, you know, and, and maybe it does have. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen for me. It didn't happen for you. You know, we had to go into the game 10 years away from where other people already started because they had been in the, you know, we were playing basketball. You know, when we were 23, we went into our professional careers. When other people are 23 and graduate from college, they go into their, they go into their career. You know, mm-hmm. at home, whatever, yeah. you know, like at the bottom right. of whatever corporation or wherever they are, you know. So, you know, what what you said is, abs- I mean, if people, people, I'm talking to you now, people, if you didn't hear <laughs> what he said, listen to what he's saying. You know, you don't want to go down the road of, you know, being 10 years behind where you need to be. Make sure, make sure 
you do the right thing immediately. Learn immediately. And I'm going to reiterate it again in the outro, man. But look, we, 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 we got, it's almost been an hour, man. Like, I, we ain't got no more time. You know, you, we, we didn't use up like, like the, the whole time just for you. But, 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 no, it's, it's all good, man. I, I love it because the knowledge that you share is amazing. I hope everybody out there is listening. And it just doesn't apply to basketball. It applies to every single thing. You know, this is, this is worldwide knowledge. This is global knowledge. And we appreciate you, you know, being on the show, man. Before you leave, social media, where can people find you? Social media, I'm at I am E B I N G. Right, big things coming. Um, I've got some. I've got some great ideas. I already shared with you on the back end, um, and we'll we'll post and share and and follow, and and just like he said, be pre- prepare yourself for what's next. Be prepared, man. Ah. Uh, Earl Bing, my guy, appreciate it. Definitely want to have you back on the show again, man. Time, we, we definitely want to, you know, follow, please follow this man on social media because he's going to be putting stuff out there that could probably make y'all six figures, you know, in the coming months or the coming years. Mm-hmm. Be ready for it because I already know he already talked to me about it. So it's going to be crazy. <laughs> you know, I, I'm following him already. So, you know, I, I'm good money and we're going to get we're going to get in there. All right, my guy. Hey, look, best to your family, man. Stay safe too, and we'll man. talk soon, my guy. Love it. Appreciate you. The thing that I loved about what Earl said was, you know, especially for the college guys, especially for the guys that play college basketball and that are uh, getting ready to go pro or trying to make it pro or whatever. And I know, and this was huge when I was in school. Just take the easiest class possible, you know, get the degree maybe, but if not, just make sure you're eligible to play. You know, now with times the way they are now, that is, you definitely have to be prepared and have a degree. Get a degree in something that actually matters. Don't take communications if you don't talk good. (laughs) You know, definitely get something that you enjoy, get something that is is gonna help you in in the next phase of your life, but get something that is meaningful. Hopefully all of you have a, a, a 20 year, very prosperous professional career. We know that that's not going to happen just based on the numbers. It's not likely to happen, but you know, you can play one to five to 10 to 15 years. Who knows? Maybe 20, hopefully. But if that doesn't happen, then you have to have a degree in something meaningful and you got to be ready to jump into that next career as soon as you finish playing. You know, Earl said it three times, three times in his career. He questioned if if he was done. Is this the right time? Is this the right time? And once you get to that point, that's when you need to start thinking about the next step. You know, obviously you focus most important on your basketball career, but if you don't, then, you know, it'll be a little bit tougher for you when you get to the time of retirement, which I hope for most of you is way later in your career than sooner. But, you know, the longer you play, the more out of touch you're going to be with with the regular, you know, the regular careers or the regular societies. And most people have already been in their careers for five, 10, 15 years and you'll be behind and you don't want to be that. You want to be ready. You want to hit the ground running. So as soon as you go into that next career, that career is going to make you a ton of money and you're going to be very um, satisfied and you're going to be very successful in that career, too. If you have any questions You can always hit me up on social media at I-M-G-L-L-O underscore U-S on Instagram or my personal social media, Mr. Lauren Woods at M-R-L-O-R-E-N-W-O-O-D-S. That's all the time we have. Y'all stay fortunate. 
and be blessed. I'll take days off, do I? When my number is called, I'll take plays off, do I?